All right, good morning, church. This is out of Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42. The believers form a community. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. All right, we got, we got some smart folks back there. Let's, let's give our tech booth a hand, huh? You realize they have to work with me every week? Man, that's why 1 Corinthians 13 is love is... Yeah, that's the first one, isn't it? Yeah? All right. Well, thank you. Well, let's pray here this morning. Lord, I thank you for this faith family, and I pray that you use your word to encourage hearts today. As we look at the DNA of the first church, I pray that that is the DNA of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. So raise your hand if you've studied DNA extensively. Okay, we got a few. So you can correct me later for anything I misspeak here today. But I looked into it briefly, and I learned that back in 2003, they finally unraveled a full set of DNA. Um, it wasn't until 2003 they were able to do that, and it was at a cost of $3 billion to do that. Uh, but they thought that that was pretty important to figure out what is this stuff that directs the rest of the body how to grow. They want to figure that out. They, they still have so much to learn. They only can read 2% of a DNA strand, by the way. 98% of it, they're still learning about. But it instructs the rest of our body, body for how to grow. And if we go to this first image, hopefully I did that one right. <laughs> um, but if we look at this first image, you see a DNA strand. And this DNA is the blueprint. It instructs the body how to grow. <clears throat> the DNA sends the code and the instructions for how the proteins are to develop in the body. And then the body uses those proteins to create who we are. It allows us to move and to do things. And this DNA of a cell, it replicates itself every 24 hours. A human body cell. So it's always changing, and yet it's always kind of staying the same, right? As that DNA passes itself on and replicates itself. 
And the Holy Spirit imprinted the first church here in Acts chapter 2 with its DNA. The Spirit showed the church, this is who I am and this is who you are. And this is what we're to be about. And so I think it's pretty valuable for us to look back to think about what is the DNA of the first church. And as the DNA has split and replicated itself time and time and time again, do we look like it? Or have we lost something along the way? This church has a rich history of 50 years, and I've talked to most all of the pastors, and I've seen, even with the changes, the things that have remained the same. I believe this church has good DNA. Things we've been committed to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. And I'm excited to be able to call that out of us and say, church, be the same. <laughs> Let's not lose our DNA. I had a conversation with a non-Christian. I was listening to him yesterday. And in response to a question of, could you ask God something if you thought he was real, what would you ask him? And his question was, along the lines, why did God disappear after he wrote the scriptures? Where did he go? That was his issue. He grew up in the church, was raised in a Christian family, somewhat nominal, but they went to church. And as he got older, he fell away from his faith. He gave up on it. He doesn't believe anymore. And the burning question in his heart is God, he used these words, he, he said, it's like God ghosted us after the Gospels. Where did he go? Where is this Jesus? Why is he hiding? And my heart cried out when he said he ghosted us. And I'm prepping for this sermon today, right? I'm like, oh, he wholly ghosted us, man. <laughs> right? Ephesians 3.14 says that God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that this is a church of a living God whose goal is to show and be a pillar and a support that there is a truth. And that way and that truth and that life is found in Jesus today, just as it was 2,000 years ago. God didn't ghost us in the sense he meant it. <laughs> But he sent his Holy Spirit to live in and through the church. That people might come to know the risen Savior. And I, my heart wept. I thought, man, in his family, in his church, 
Didn't he sense the DNA of the Spirit there? Didn't he sense the love and the unity and the presence of God when he came on a Sunday morning? His answer was no. And if I hadn't seen the family and the church I grew up in, I might be in the same boat. That's where we as a church get to be that variable for people. (laughs) To show them that this is real. And that God is alive through his church today. So our scripture, Acts 2.42. This is a good one. It mentions some of these, this DNA of the church. And as complex as DNA, it's split up into four different letters. I always thought it was three, right? DNA. But for some reason, they have four other different letters representing the DNA strand. And here we have four things that they were devoted to. And it begins off in the Greek, it just says the pronoun they. Who is the they? Well, the verse before this, it says that they who believed Peter's message about Jesus were baptized and they were added to the church that day, 3,000 in all. That's the first time the word church shows up in Acts. These are new Christians, brand new. I don't know how much they knew. I'm not sure how much life change they were able to make right off the bat. But they leaned in to these things and they grew. And I think it's important for us to consider the things that are good for a new church or for a new believer to do. It's still good for us, even if we're a little older, isn't it? My little girl at dinner last night, it's time to eat. She's a little hungry. She ran up to me with a can of Coca-Cola. I go, no. That thing is not good for your little body. <laughs> and she's, oh, okay. She didn't even know what it, okay, she didn't know what it was. She put it back. She comes back with her empty bottle. I'm like, good. <laughs> that is good for you. Now it was my turn to pick out a beverage. And now I had a decision to make. Do I grab the can of Coca-Cola I just took away from my little girl telling her it's not good for your body? I go, I poured myself a glass of milk. (laughs) And I was thinking about this sermon as I did so. I go, huh, for some reason, it's so easy to lose the fundamentals. Sometimes we see it easier with our kids. Sometimes families, once they have kids, they think to themselves, you know what? It probably would be good for my kids to grow up in a caring, loving community filled with teaching and fellowship, and sharing, and prayer. Probably good for my kid to do that. Well, what what about that being good for your life the last 10 years, you know? Sometimes it clicks when we see from an outside perspective the development of someone else. We say, yeah, it's actually probably good for me too. So these are brand new believers and it says that they were devoting themselves 
to these four things. That word devoting means to be very, very stubborn, all right, but in a good way. They were persistent. It was their priorities. When they'd grab the pen and look at their calendar, determine what went on and what didn't. Can it fit these categories in their life? You'll find last week we talked about discerning the Spirit, what the Spirit wants us to do, and we made a few points about the importance of God's Word steering us in the right direction, the importance of a church community giving us good counsel, the importance of prayer, leaning in the Holy Spirit. Do you see how that's the outline here as well for being a disciple? That's the outline of making disciples as well. As we go out and we baptize people into the community of Jesus Christ and we teach them all the things he's taught us. We go out, we serve, we continue the doing and teachings of Jesus. This stuff's all connected in a very beautiful yet simple yet difficult way. A way that requires some devotion to stick to it. So let me show you some extra verses here. So in 2 Timothy 3.14, it talks about being devoted to teaching. And I, th I think of new Christians I've come across. A lot of times, they just can't soak up enough of God's word. They're enjoying it. They have a hunger. They realize what life was like with no direction. And when they finally acknowledge these are God's words to me. He has not ghosted me, but he wants to communicate to me. They just soak it up. And the fellowship, they love being around other Christians because they've been orphaned for so long and now they are told that they have a family. And they soak it right up. And they can talk to God in prayer. And they can share and be shared too. So first, 2 Timothy 3.14 says that you continue, continue in what you have learned. And two verses later in 2 Timothy 3.16, it mentions that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. So that's the teaching component here. There's the fellowship piece. And we've seen that in Acts so far the last couple chapters. In the first chapter of Acts, in chapter 115, they all gathered together and good stuff happened. In the first verse of chapter 2, they all gathered together and good stuff happened. We'll see in a bit here, Acts 2.44, they all gather together and good stuff happens. That's something that an individualistic society like America doesn't get a whole lot. It doesn't understand much. Yet there's great enjoyment in that, that we can't take it for granted. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect gathering together as some of you have done. So it was a temptation right off the gate for people to give up on that. To say, hey, I'll just, I'll just get teaching on my iPod. I'll just say my own prayers, all right? I'll fellowship with whoever I happen to see that day. 
That's an unintentional life, one that is not being devoted to what the Spirit is doing. And they were sharing, and not just in meals, as we see on a little later here, they shared everything. They were selling houses as people had need and land. They were providing serious service to one another inside and outside the church. They got their go on, okay? As Jesus said, go, I am sending you. They got their go on and they went out and they started making a difference. They showed up to places that were dark and they brought light. And they did so in a spirit of prayer, asking God every day, God, show us what to do next. We see the direction of your Holy Spirit, but we want to know the detail for today. What, where do I put my right foot? Where do I put my right hand? I need your guidance today for how to do that. And as the church would pray those kind of prayers through Acts, God would move. And they always prayed for the will of God for sustaining grace as they do it. It was always with a go mentality. They would say, God, when they find that the apostles were in jail, they would pray, God, let your witness continue and the jail doors would swing open. <laughs> they say, God, give us courage and the Holy Spirit would fill them with power. They say, God, give us the right words. The Holy Spirit would and people would hear the gospel. Truly hear it. And they would repent and they would be saved. Let's go to verse 43 here. It says that as they were doing these things, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Uh, a quick read of this, I thought to myself, well, the apostles were doing signs and wonders and so everyone was in awe of that. But the awe came first. I, I think that might be intentional. That maybe as they were fellowshipping with each other, teaching, immersing themselves in God's word and in prayer and sharing with each other, maybe the spirit of God became real to them. That the awe came first and then the power. Because they were rooted. Their DNA was right. And then the proteins came. <laughs> and things began to move. And things began to shake. Isn't that what you want to see in your life? I know for me, I want to see in areas that seem stuck, I want to see the Holy Spirit move and the Holy Spirit shake. I believe it comes down to our DNA. Are we the church or not? Are we devoted to what they were devoted to or not? Verse 44 and 45, it says, All the believers, they met together in one place and they shared everything that they had. They sold property and possession and shared the money with those in need. For the Greek there, it mentions for those who might have need. So if someone had a hard time, the church was there to back them up and give them support. And this is a new church. These are new believers. They're making some very big life change to accept Christ. In a pagan culture, you can be kicked out of your trade if you became a Christian. You could be kicked out of your house. 
People had need of homes and possessions. My heart in that is that for a new believer, are we the church who claims to be the support to them that we claim to be? When we say a prayer, someone gets connected to Christ, are we there to back them up? As they give up coping habits that we've told them are unhealthy and there's a healthier way, are we there to be the healthy support? Are we there to help them grow? We're to go and make disciples, to baptize them, bring them into our community and to teach them everything the Lord had commanded. Hosanna needs a mom and a dad, right? In order to grow. There's some mom and dads around here who can help others grow. And I'm afraid sometimes we look at this core DNA of the church and we say, well, I'm already connected pretty well. I got what I need there. I, I have the fellowship. I have teaching. I have what I need when it comes to sharing with one another. But you know what? There's other people out here that don't. There's other people out here that do need a friend. They do need to learn. They do need to take the next step. And they might need to be on the sharing end where they receive in order to make it. And God has sent us. The word apostle means sent ones. God has sent us to go do that. People were sent our way to do that for us. Even this building we sit in, it was built before my time. <laughs> this was a gift from a previous generation to, to me. My parents and my grandparents, my pastors, youth leaders, teachers, friends, they poured into me. It's our turn to replicate that DNA and to pass it on. Let's go to verse 46. It says that they worshiped together in the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So we see here that they're meeting in a big group at the temple in some ways facing the same direction like we are now but they also circled up, right? I don't know if we know true fellowship until you sit in a circle. Right? And there are circles we try and make possible here at the church. In the Faith Cafe, we have circles you can sit around. We have nearly 20 life groups. Did you know that? We have nearly 20 life groups of circles. People circle up. So what's going on? Checking in on each other. How you really doing? It says that they had great joy as they did that. From the pastors I've talked to that have served here at the church, their main advice to me has been, enjoy these people. 
because they're good people. And from those that have been in life groups the longest at the church, they've told me, we really enjoy being together. As they give, they receive. I, I heard one stat that America is the loneliest culture ever. <laughs> Given all of our opportunities, it just crowds out what's really important, what we should really be devoted to. I think that's a scheme of the devil. To try and harness and prevent the power of the Spirit through the church reaching to the ends of the world. And they had generosity. Another translation, the NIV, would translate this a little differently. The, the, Greeks, the Greek is a, a, it means a, a single-minded passion, approach. What they did, they did it with gusto. They did it with purpose. And they did it with heart. Let's go to verse 47. Now this is the first of seven summaries in Acts. This verse right here. And these seven summaries show the church flourishing. There's different ways to look at an outline of Acts. You can follow Peter and then Paul. Or you can follow it from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. The way I'm going to look at it is these seven summaries as they continue to say, the church did its DNA and then it flourished. And it did its DNA and then it flourished. And it does that seven times. But every three chapters, there's another one of these summaries that mentions how the fellowship got wider and the teaching went deeper. And I believe if we trace that through, we'll see these evidences of the church continuing to be committed to these same things. So let's go back here to our image of the helix. If we don't do these things, if someone doesn't do their DNA, do you realize that that's the definition of cancer? Cancer is caused by damaged DNA. Where things draw resources and growth, where it is not of the spirit. That's the definition of DNA, or of cancer, is damaged DNA. And I'm afraid that that non-Christian I talked to yesterday, potentially the church he grew up in, might have had damaged DNA to the conclusion where he said, I think God's dead based on what I've seen. That's why it's so important to protect our DNA. Guard your heart, church. Each of you, in your lives. Guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, we love and we give. Jesus writes a letter in Revelations to seven churches. He addresses these things. He tells one, you've lost your first love. 
And he says, I'm willing to operate on that. Because we're talking about my bride, my body. If there's cancer there, I'm going to fix it. I'm not going to just let that go. Your spouse has cancer. You do what can be done. And Jesus looks to his churches says, let's do what needs to be done. I've been doing, for the last, I don't know, six months, I've been thinking about these words. Trying to boil down being a disciple of Jesus in three words. <laughs> I laugh at myself because I go on Google and I type, type in discipleship process and I click through the images. Everybody's got something a little different, right? Click through it and it's, oh, it rhymes, you know? Like, oh, that's so good, right? Believe, belong, become. Oh, that's good. Starts with the same letter, right? And I click through, and, and for some it's three things, and some it's five, and some it's seven. And I'm like, Lord, we got to get this just right. <laughs> got to get this just right for the church. I've had that burden on my shoulder a little bit too much, I realized. Realized it really doesn't matter what you call it. It matters if you do it. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says that the kingdom of God is not just a bunch of talk. It is about living according to God's power. That's what makes the difference. There's a lot of churches that swing around three or four different catchy slogans. It doesn't mean nothing. Because when God looks at the church, he doesn't look what's written on the wall. He doesn't look at what's on the bottom of your bulletin paper. He doesn't check out your website and say, boy, I wish I'd said it that way. No, he said it the way he meant, that we dig in and understand his word and we do it. Let's let God look at the actions of our life and say, that's my boy. That's my girl. Let's them look at the actions of our church and what we're devoted to for him to say, for him to say, that's who I died for. That's who I'm bringing with me for eternity. That's who I'm using to reach the world so that less and less people have the excuse that non-Christian told me yesterday and that more and more people come to the realization that this is a church of a living God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it takes your spirit to change our DNA. And yet we are a new creation when we've come to Christ. The old man is gone. The new is come. 
you have given us a new nature. You've given us a new relationship with you. Oh, that early church, for the first time that the Spirit came to embody its church, they got to read the Word with a whole new set of eyes. They got to pray with a whole new set of eyes. They got to fellowship, feeling the Spirit connect and knit their hearts together with a whole new set of eyes. Give our church that set of eyes. Let us do it with joy. Lord, let us do it with the fruit of the Spirit, with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord, a self-control that is devoted towards remaining in Christ and in your plans and purposes for your church. I thank you for your word the gift that it is, Lord, to direct our hearts. Let that be an overspring and wellspring into our lives. Lord, provide for the needs of this church, each and every one. Be to them a living God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.